We are parents, we are doctors, we are first responders, teachers, and concerned citizens who have found ourselves at a crossroads. We see our freedoms being stripped away and we can no longer stay silent. We are millions strong, united in a thundering voice and imperative mission that cannot and will not be ignored. We are standing up for the basic human right to raise our own children, earn a living, and make our own medical decisions without the tyrannical overreach that has been forced upon us here in California, across the country, and around the world. We are here to amplify the voices, moving the needle, bringing forth truth, and provide education and resources with tangible tools and expert insights. We are The Unity Project, and this is our podcast. Well, I'm so excited today to welcome Charlie Westerman, uh, a young man that absolutely inspires me, especially for this new generation. Uh, He is an author, and actually I had the privilege of hearing him speak at Freedom Fest. Uh, He has written and I guess co-authored with Gary Ritchie. Am I saying that right? Ritchie. Rich-eyed, sorry about that, Uh, a book called A Twisted History of the United States, 1450 to 1945. And I had the chance to read this book. I highly recommend it. I actually think that this book should be required reading for every school in this country. Um, So I'm going to actually, if you're okay with this, I'm going to read a line from this book, and then I want to have you introduce yourself. So this line stood out to me because I think it Uh, is very reminiscent of what's happening today in the country. But just one line from the book, it says, next to the causes of the Civil War, the actual causes of the Great Depression remain utter mysteries to the vast majority of Americans. Blame for that falls on the usual suspects, teachers and politicians, as well as the many easily duped by both. Um, That couldn't be more apropos, in my opinion, uh, for what's happening today. And yet it's, it's a historical um, it's an excerpt from your book about a historical event, and it seems like history is repeating itself. So with that, introduce yourself, Charlie. Yeah, so like you said, I co-authored A Twisted History of the United States that's out on Amazon right now. I am also co-host of with Gary Richide on We Have Our Own Podcast called Hot Water History, inspired by his website, which Gary Richide was my teacher in high school. He got fired from the school that we were at for sort of speaking his mind on a lot of the things that Laura and I, we agree with, as well as speaking out against the Pope in a Catholic school that doesn't really go well for you. <laughs> and you, you brought up that line from the book. I actually, this is a little bit of an aside, but I wear this shirt at Freedom Fest and on the podcast sometimes, and it gets a lot of great compliments and people will say, hey, nice shirt. It says, if the news is fake, imagine how much of history is fake as well. So that's a big inspiration with the book. And you see this time and time again, and especially with the Unity Project, the work that you're doing right now, in in 60 years from now, what are people going to think about COVID? Are we going to get this one right? Or is this going to be another another event that we just completely misunderstand and and then the next thing comes? Well, I think we're starting to see we're living revisionist history already, right? Right. And then part of the book that's so great is you see all of these events stack on each other. So COVID wouldn't have been able to happen if three events before that, you know, were able to happen. And you you keep, you continue to see that all throughout history. And 
this event with COVID and the work that you're doing with the vaccines is so important. We have, we have to get this one down. If we, if we are required to take medical treatments on diseases that don't affect us seriously, what, what can't we do? What can't they make us do? Yeah. I say it all the time. I go, look, if we're, if we're at a point in, in human history, where in the United States of America, which is supposed to be the most free country, the most opportunity giving country in the world, really in, in human civilization, this, this experiment that we're living in called the United States of America, if we're at a point in this country where as a parent, I no longer have the right to determine um, the most appropriate medical care for my child. As an individual, I no longer have the right of, for medical freedom to say, no, thank you. I, I don't want to engage in an experimental drug that's still under an emergency use authorization, no informed consent. Um, and if I have no right to disengage from that, then we've lost everything. Can we talk about what's happening in California? Because this stuff, I, I'm from what I know, is not happening in Chicago yet. But a lot of the times we just look to the West at California to see what's coming next. So yeah. with this no consent bill, can you describe this to me? Because I, I, you've brought this up, but I genuinely want to get it right when I tell yeah. other people. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So, um, and, and you're, and you're wise to actually be concerned about what's happening in California, because a lot of times I hear from people and they say, well, California, we're going to move out of California, or I moved out of California a couple of years ago. I saw this coming. The fact of the matter is that what happens in California is often it's like the tip of the spear and it will trickle across the entire country. Uh, also, for, for those of you who don't know, sadly, our governor, Gavin Newsom, says that California should be the blueprint for the rest of the country. And I think he's, you know, he's being groomed for the for a presidential run. Um, and, and I mean, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole. We could talk about elections and all of that and, and probably a whole separate podcast. But what's happening in California is unbelievable. You referenced the no, con the no consent. So we have several bills. One of them, SB 866, is a bill that in its original format, um, the authors of this bill said anyone under the, excuse me, over the age of 12 should be able to engage in their own medical decisions without the knowledge or consent of their parents and have their medical records sealed. It's since been revised and it's now 15. It's still pretty horrific if you think about it. And, and, you know, the reality is it's, it's a way to usurp parental rights or circumvent parental rights, because originally there was a bill called SB 871. Um, it's been tabled. It hasn't been completely you know, killed. It could actually be resurrected at some point. But 871 said any child between K through 12, grades K through 12, public or private needed to be vaccinated. But I think they felt so much pushback, right? I mean, it's one thing for people to, as an adult, Maybe they say, okay, look, I don't want to lose my job or, hey, look, I want to go on that vacation. And they go, uh, the, they do the go along to get along, which I have a whole bunch of thoughts on that. And we can talk about that in a second, yeah. but it's totally different to say, now you need to inject your child with an experimental vaccine. Right. And so they got a lot of pushback. And so what ended up happening is then you have SB 866 that says, okay, well, if you parents aren't going to get your kids vaccinated, then guess what? we'll just make a law that says that they can go to school and make their own decisions and they can get the vaccine at school. So. Well, that's a, the amazing part that continues to happen. And it's been about, it's been about two and a half full years now mm -hmm. is you, you talk about the pushback 
it, it never really has to do with any of the real cases or numbers or graphs. It's, yeah. you know, the CDC just changed all their guidelines a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago. They essentially just tapped out. Like the people get tired or an, ele <laughs> right. or, an or an election has to come up and they don't want, you know, whatever they're. Oh, for sure. Look, it's by design. Yeah, it's by right, design right. what they did. And what's interesting, you know, we have a lot of converse, conversations here with, with our team at the Unity Project. And a lot of people don't know, but these vaccines are still under an emergency use authorization. So if you look at the new guidelines for the CDC, you would have to acknowledge the fact that there's clearly no emergency, right? And if there's no emergency, then how in the world can these vaccines continue to be deployed into the human population? Because there's no FDA approval, which means if there's no emergency, they should be immediately pulled off the market because there's no emergency use authorization then. So what's holding that up, the FDA approval? Have they just not passed it still, or is it in testing right now? Um, you know, this is a really good question. And I, and I don't know that anyone has the, the true answer to that. I think that they're going through, the FDA has very stringent um, guidelines, although we should probably have a whole separate conversation about the corrupted nature of the FDA and, and the, the, you know, uh, the corruption and the collusion between FDA and the pharmaceutical companies. Um, but there are specific pathways that you have to go through. And one of those pathways is you have to have a certain amount of time and certain amount of people within your clinical trials in order to actually get a full FDA approval. Clearly we haven't had enough time, right? I mean, we're, we're still, what is it? Almost three years since the start of COVID-19. Um, so, so that's probably one of the main reasons. In addition to that, uh, you look at the FD, excuse me, the Pfizer documents, the Moderna documents that are now being released because of the FOIA request. And I mean, it literally reads in my mind, like a, a playbook for genocide. If you look at the amount of vaccine, known vaccine injuries and side effects, um, that might also, I would imagine be a big hindrance to getting full FDA approval. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I know there's never an, any update on, oh, we're close on this, or they started testing and here's the end date. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a total mess and it's by design, like you said. So totally yeah. by design. So how, so you're, you're a person that is, you know, probably uniquely impacted in terms of your age group. It's always fascinating to me to talk to people that are under the age of 30, um, to, about how this has impacted you. We, you know, we had a conversation with um, Teens Against the Mandate, the the young lady that runs that, um, who, and we're talking about high school age kids that are rising up and fighting back against this. And they said something that was really, really interesting to me. She said, you know, this is the only world that I know. Because if you think about like when when this all started, these kids were, you know, freshmen in high school. Right. Well, now they're getting ready to graduate and go out into a world. And the only world that they know is lockdowns and masking and medical tyranny and using medical freedom and parental rights as a mechanism to erode at our civil liberties. So from your perspective, how has this impacted you? So I'm 21 years old. So I only went to one year of college. And that one year, the spring of my freshman year was when COVID all started. So I still had my full high school experience living in a normal world. But what I, I will say is that there's a bit of a bitterness that I live with towards, and a little bit of a jealousy that I live with towards 
my parents' generation and then my grandparents' generation. Mm -hmm. When you hear someone that lived during the 80s and 90s talk about <laughs> the 80s and 90s, you, you think that this is the greatest time to be alive ever in the history of the world. Will anyone our age say that about the 2020s? Right. Will anyone say that about the 2030s? I mean, wh wow. When are we going to get back to people being prosperous and, and you know living with their shoulders back and their heads up a little bit? Right. It's the, I can't stand hearing people talk about the 80s and 90s. I'm so sick of that. I'm so sick of the 80s and 90s talk. I wasn't around then. I can't go back. Uh, what's that? What's that show that's out that that my daughter just made me watch? What was it? Stranger Things. Uh, okay, that's what it is. That's the full. It's it's everyone's now talking about the eighties. But you're right. That's a really really interesting point. Um, and sadly, I I agree. You guys, your generation, you're gonna look back on this and say what we were locked down. We were forced to wear masks. We had politicians telling us. Three years ago, I don't even think I knew who the governor was. And now <laughs> right. I, I know the governors of every state because it's that important to know. Right. right? You, I don't. I didn't know who the governor of. I didn't know who the governor of New York was. I know that. I didn't know who the governor of California was. I barely knew the governor of Illinois. I barely knew the mayor of Chicago. I live right outside Chicago. It didn't matter that. Do you think that your age group, you're seeing kids? getting galvanized that are, and they're getting involved? Or do you think that your generation is um, still victims of the indoctrination that's happened uh, to your generation in particular in the academic environment? I just think the extremes get more extreme. And I think that's good for our side, to be honest. Okay. I okay. think that there's always going to be, there's always going to be those who are indoctrinated and then those are there are always going to be those who the countercultural the people who stand up to that i think the countercultural and the people who who look at what's going on right now are saying this is this is ridiculous and and they're even stronger than they may have been 10 or 15 years ago that's a point that gary and i made on the podcast is we did an episode, so we do we do episodes like this where we get really down in the dumps about society and the world and what's going on right now. So we said, we're, I said, I'm only going to do this episode if I'm positive the entire time. So I'm going to try to keep. I'm going to try to keep. We call it we call it being white pilled. That's what Michael Malice calls it. And we said we're going to be white pilled the entire time. And one of the white pills that we came up with is that without COVID, it'd be so hard to know who were the authoritarian amongst, uh, amongst your, your, your life. And now mm -hmm. it's pretty, it's pretty easy to tell who wants you to thrive and prosper and live freely and mind your own business as they mind theirs. And then those who think that it's okay to coerce. And right. it, it's never been more clear than after the last two years. So that's a white pill of, that's a white pill, but to go back to your original question, I actually am more optimistic about my generation compared to the the previous two. Mm -hmm. That's that's good to hear, and I think that's a really interesting point that you just brought up. And and I guess the silver lining of COVID is that 
um, without question, I think it's pretty darn clear at this point in society, um, you know, how people are aligned. And right. So. And to add on that, and this is a little bit of a self-promotion here, but I, I mean, I'm 21 years old. I wasn't libertarian when I was growing up. I mm -hmm. sort of found it as a 17 year old in high school when Gary Richard was my teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm a 21 year old who co-wrote a book on libertarianism that that stuff really wasn't I, I feel like that wasn't happening two or three years ago but there's so many young voices who are standing up to the bs world that we're we're subjected to right now so like that's back to my original point when i say that the extreme get a little more extreme that's kind of what i'm referring to so you so that's a also a really interesting point you referenced that um you're a libertarian. It's, you became a libertarian at 17 after interacting or having your uh, teacher, Gary Richide. Richide, am I saying that right? Richide. Yeah. Richide. So I was 17 years old when I had him and I would, he gave me all the libertarian cases. And even when yeah. I went to school, I wasn't really, I always, I, I would call myself a centrist, which really doesn't mean anything. That just means you're afraid of argument. But anyways, <laughs> I, I called myself a centrist. And then when I got to school and then I saw the people who opposed the libertarian uh -huh. view, and then pile pile COVID on top of that. Done. Can't go back. So, you, once you see, you can't unsee it. Sure. So, had you not had the opportunity of having Gary as your teacher, would you? Where do you think your path would have been? You think you would have been um, naturally inclined to be where you are today and and understand what's happening? I think I would have figured it out eventually. I definitely was. I, I definitely wasn't a very authoritarian person before and i always had i was always pretty conspiratorial so i always had you know mistrust with the government so i, I think i would have found it eventually but not to the not to the philosophical and in understanding the arguments mm -hmm. the actual arguments in the free market and why this is good and why this is bad and all of the economic incentives that are in play so he, mm -hmm. he made me a, a very good libertarian and he's a, he's a really good person. When I had questions about it, you just say, hey, mm -hmm. what's, uh, what's the deal with this? And then I, I wish I could come up with an example there, but yeah. something like, why is the free market, um, why is the free market superior to a limited government even? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a good, good rabbit hole to go down and to actually find out why is important. Mm -hmm. So, but what's interesting to me is the fact that he was so influential. And I think it speaks volumes about what's happening in this country today. You have, I think a large majority of the academic professionals for at, at all, all categories, whether you're, you're, um, you know, preschool, kindergarten, elementary school, high school, all the way up to uh, college and beyond that are, it seems like they're all on board with this uh, socialist agenda, this globalist agenda. And it, I think it's really been impactful to your generation in a way that maybe my generation or generations before, unfortunately did not suffer from. I, I can remember being 17, being in a government class and, and having an open debate with my government teacher because he actually was a little bit more socialist leaning. 
Um, and I just didn't agree with his viewpoints and there were no ramifications. Now, if a child stands up in a high school class and goes against the narrative or God forbid says something like, no, I actually believe that a, that a man is, has two X, uh, uh, X chromosome and a Y chromosome and a, and a woman has two X chromosomes. Uh, they'll literally be kicked out of class. I am terrified of schools now. I thank God every day that I'm out, especially the mm -hmm. public school system. And I'm, like I said, I'm 21. So I, God willing, I plan on eventually having kids, but I genuinely, I had this thought today, actually, Laura, this is funny that you bring this up. I thought to myself, would you rather not have kids or would you rather have kids that you knew were going to buy into the government indoctrination. And I genuinely <laughs> freaked out a little bit. I said, there, I don't think it's that out of the ordinary to say that I would rather not have kids mm -hmm. than have kids and send them to public school where the government's in charge of their mind. And I have to, mm -hmm. I have to put in all the sacrifice to provide, to protect, to, protect, to, mm -hmm. to work, to raise a kid. And I have to send them off for half the day, half the waking day, and have their minds transformed by the government now? I don't know. I don't know. I've got, <laughs> I've got I don't have to think about it right now, but that's a, that's a scary thought for sure. Yeah. Especially if it yeah. doesn't change. And the private schools aren't much better, to be fair. No, I the private it. schools aren't aren't much better, especially here in California. And it's definitely, I think, a question that needs to be at the forefront of every every American's mind, whether you have kids, to your point, or whether you don't have kids, uh, because this is this is how our society is changing. It's changing kind of generation over generation. And now, I mean, maybe 10 years ago, you didn't necessarily see that every you know, an overwhelming majority of educators were on board with this, but I would say you're hard pressed at this point to go into any school in this country and find e even maybe a handful of teachers that are not on board with this agenda. Right. I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not in every school, but we do a segment called, so Gary and I are from, we're from the Chicago area. And one of the the most progressive suburb is Oak Park. Mm -hmm. And we do this segment called Meanwhile in Oak Park, where we take a local <laughs> news story and we just we just make fun of them the entire time. And uh -huh. the high school, Oak Park River Forest High School, that they, they're all on board. I mean, they shut down, they shut down winter sports because of COVID. And the public health director, there, there was a rally because of, mm -hmm. because of the backlash, they just shut down basketball for, for what? Mm -hmm. And they, the people were chanting at her and they were saying, let us play, let us play, let us play. And she snapped, she said, you get to play when you let me speak. Wow. Listen to the, and then it gets better. This, <sighs> this health director has been quoted twice in the local newspaper. Laura, mm -hmm. she said, there should be no difference in opinion regarding vaccinations. That's Holy the cow. that's the public health director of a town of, I believe, thirty thousand. Wow. The sad thing, though, is that's not an uncommon story. Probably, 
I mean, look, she just said, she said what most of them say behind closed doors. She just said it out loud. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. But to be, to make it publicly known, but that's the part that gets, gets me a little less optimistic when that stuff is out there and there's no reaction to that, where I I feel like I'm the only one who is Mm -hmm. really pissed off about that. She just said that there should be no difference regarding vaccinations. And she's the public health director of Mm -hmm. an entire town. Right. I think people are so desensitized to it. People just want it to go away. And I've said this before in the podcast, it never ceases to amaze me how many people just went along with it. Uh, in this country, right? I would, I, I think you expect it maybe in other, other countries where um, it's obviously more oppressive, but again, here in the United States of America, it was pretty shocking for me to experience how many people just go along to get along. Uh, they don't want to rock the boat. They, they just want to do whatever the government says, just to, just to go, you know, to go out and, and, and go to school or to go on that vacation. It was pretty unbelievable. And to your point, look at how shocked you were, right? When you said that, that you're the only one shocked. Why is it not, why are we not all out in the street telling this woman that she needs to be removed from her position? Right. Right. Well, that's the, that's the famous Chicago saying it is what it is. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the, that's the best. That's a Chicagoans favorite phrase right there. Just keeps going on. It is what it yeah. is. I love the people. I always say, I love the people that, um, I see that are wearing the mask like around their chin, because to me, there is no bolder statement that they are someone that is just eager to comply, to bend over and comply to whatever their government wants. And then having a tangible representation of that across your face, right? Because right. if you're wearing a mask on your chin, clearly, you know, you're, there's no, um, pr- you know, preventing disease transmission, the way that you're wearing it. You can't let it go. How are the masks by you? Um, it's it's a good question. You know, I would still say we have, I would say, you know, we probably have a third of the people that are still wearing masks. I mean, I every, every single day I see people outside wearing masks. I, I love the people that I see um, driving by themselves in the car with the mask on. That's still happening? Oh, it's still happening. Yeah, I mean, it's California. So um, yeah. we're the... We're the, we're the land where this all started. So tell me, how did you, how did you get involved in, and what prompted you to, to write this book? It's a very good book. So, well, thank you. Well, first of all, you'll see within the book that there's a lot of fake tweets throughout Mm -hmm. the book. And I came up with that on my own. I was taking a coding class when I was out of school, long story, but Mm -hmm. I, I saw these fake, I was able to make these fake tweets. Yeah. And I, I found it, I found it very creative. I thought it would, the possibilities are endless with this. So you could fake anyone's Twitter right now. And they're essentially just deep fake, they're essentially just deep fake tweets. And mm-hmm. so I created this blog article, which was Twitter during the Revolutionary War. And it's right. essentially a lot like the book. And it uh-huh. has, you know, it's got like Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton fighting about the bank over Twitter. Yeah. And Turns out Gary Richard likes this post on Medium that I have. So I, I reach out, I reach back out to my old teacher who we hadn't, uh-huh. we hadn't kept in touch with at all. And the original idea for the book was for teaching AP US history students because that's who Gary, that's who Gary taught AP and honors mm-hmm. US history students. 
And once COVID happened, the audience was much wider than just AP US history students. We decided that this is not just for, this is not just for 16 and 17 year old kids. This book is for everyone who looks at the world right now. And the phrase that I, I love is that something is rotten in the state of Denmark and something certainly is rotten in the state of Denmark right now. That's who the book's for is anyone who looks around and says, huh, this is a little interesting. This is not mm -hmm. right. And yeah. this book, even though it's the most recent part of the book is about 70, 80 years ago, and mm -hmm. it's still so relevant today because we're Absolutely. still dealing, we're still dealing with the decisions that were made back then and mm -hmm. still affecting us every day. So that was the that was the idea for the book is to make something that was not only engaging because history is very engaging, but the instruments by which we learn history aren't very engaging most of the time, especially what we learn in school. Right. And then history that's we like to call it correct, but it's also mm -hmm. it's upfront about how opinionated it is. Right. Yeah. So, so what was the process that you, that you went through? It seems like you got some, uh, some social media posts from George Washington. I noticed on the first page, uh, how, what was the process that you guys went through and researching and collecting information for the book? So Gary's written a, I don't know if you'd call it a book, but he, when you're a student of his class, he has the, mm -hmm. all of these very detailed notes and you can actually buy those online as well basically his notes on American history. So we took his notes on American history and we essentially made it into more of a novel format of the story mm -hmm. of America. And my job was to create all the tweets and do the layout stuff and try to sprinkle in some, some comic relief, just something that's more appealing to the eyes. And mm -hmm. the good part about the book is I think it's something that you can Although it's very dense because the ideas are the ideas are very dense. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that you could flip to a certain part of history and just see what interests you and go from there. We call it a good, it's a good bathroom book. It's a good vacation book. So <laughs> it, that's what we're uh, promoting it as. That's a great book. I actually, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, I think it's something that should be required reading. I think um, this concept of revisionist history that we're constantly seeing and we're living in right now, whether it's um, you know, this, the new diversity, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and these equity studies that are happening and, uh, where you're seeing students that are, that are white being essentially told that, um, they may, they must essentially pay penance for what their ancestors, or frankly, probably a lot of the people in this country, it's not even their ancestors, um, so, so there's this whole revisionist, excuse me, revisionist history that's happening. And I really like, um, what we started talking about at the beginning of the podcast of how will history remember this phase. And my fear is that we're not going to remember truly what happened. Um, we did a podcast very early on. In fact, it was our first podcast with a woman named nurse Aaron and she was really interesting. She was a nurse that was at ground zero at Elmhurst. That was the hospital that had, you know, the freezer trucks and the body bags. Mm. And she spoke a lot about like truly what happened at ground zero and um, what you hear spoken about in the media 
versus reality is so disparate. Um, the the danger that the the dangerous protocols that were being deployed that led to um, almost 100% fatality rates for people that were going to the hospital early in in COVID. We're talking about you know um, February March April timeframe, and it's um, it's it's amazing to me how difficult it will be to truly historically represent what happened. Because if you look at the censorship, how do you go back and truly represent what's happened? If in the immediate time we're censoring and we're not allowing the correct data, we're not allowing the correct information to get out. So it's fascinating to me. That's why I asked you, what process did you guys go through for this book? Because my, you know, my vision that I'm having is someone a hundred years from now, looking back at, at this time in history, how will they gather information and represent this correctly? Right. And to be fair, this is the most revisionist history book that <laughs> is out there right now. It's the most, we call it the most slanted, the most yeah. opinionated book you've ever read. The difference is we say right away, this is the most opinionated book you've ever read. Right. Please right. check us, you know, disagree with us if you want. Let us know what you think. You don't hear that from, you know, the people right. in, you know, mainstream academia or the media. Also, you brought up a good point with the censorship. This is where I don't have, I don't have an issue with this with my generation, but the next one. So the kids that are in grade school, I would say right now we're essentially raising a, an entire generation of people where they're going to grow up believing that the way you handle disagreement from someone is just banishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That there's no room for right. dialogue. And, and, it's, just can't, it's just cut them off. Right. I mean, and, and to your point, I mean, I not even it, it's banishment. It's like not even engaging in the conversation right? If you have someone that, and and this is classic. I have people that say this to me all the time. I actually had a friend say this to me the other day. said, you know, um, that, that, you know, these, these doctors are just so radical. And I said, oh, okay, well, can you just give me one example of something that, that one of these doctors, you know, and I'm referencing Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, Dr. Pericor, I mean, some of the, some of the pioneering doctors and American American heroes, American heroes, right. And you said, and they say, oh, they're so radical. Okay, can you just point out one thing? And there's, it's, it's amazing because it's, it's almost, um, it's almost like this, this training that, that they've been through, because right at that moment they become irritated and they disengage. Um, it's like, how dare you ask me a follow-up question after I've made an outlandish statement, right? Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's so unproductive. But, but the reason I'm asking about, um, you know, how, how this book was founded, obviously, you know, it's, it's, you're joking, of course, it is a bit of revisionist history, but you had to have a modicum of, um, of understanding of history to even get to where you were in this book, right? My concern is that hundred years from now, if someone looks back on this period in time, they will have no ability to truly understand or to truly represent in any way, um, what, what happened? And, and, and I'll give you an example. In the state of New York, New York at one point was 
um, issuing statements saying that if you had a loved one that passed away and that you believe that there was COVID, it was a COVID related death and their death certificate did not say COVID on it. They wanted, they were encouraging people to go back to their medical practitioner and have the death certificate revised to list COVID as a cause of death. So the reason that uh, the state of New York did this is because they're giving $9,000 away to any family members that can show that their, that their family had, or that their loved one had a COVID related cause on their death certificate. So, I mean, the natural thing that people should be questioning at this point is that's just going to skew the numbers, right? So now there's, there's a monetary incentive to go back to the doctor and have that medical practitioner label it as COVID. So um, and that's just one example, right? You look at this, the sliding scale of how we even determine whether someone's technically considered vaccinated, right? So, and what I mean by that is maybe two months ago, if you had been, you know, maybe your first two vaccines, you know, the, the Pfizer and the Moderna had two and Johnson and Johnson has one. Right. So yeah, if, if you had those, you were considered fully vaccinated. Now, what they're doing is we're finding that upwards of, of 94 to 98% of people that are passing away of COVID current date are fully vaccinated. So in order to skew the numbers, to um, skew the what, what we're seeing, now they've changed the definition of fully vaccinated. And by doing that, what's happening is historically, no one will ever be able to go back and look at this time in history and truly understand the impact of this virus and these vaccines on the human population. I get everything you're saying, but I am still optimistic about the future. I think they're, I think they've <laughs> completely over, I think they've completely overplayed their hands and people like the people at hot water history and the unity project. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I don't think the centrists out there have been this questioning in a, in a long time, at least with my age group, the people who are sort of on the fence right now mm -hmm. are, are leaning even more into, into something's up with that. And mm -hmm. I, I think it eventually, I know, it, I know it seems like it's a lot now, but I think that a hundred years from now, we're going to get this one right. I really am. Maybe I'm just dumb yeah. and young and naive. And <laughs> I, I no, I don't think so. I think I, I know. Right. I, I really do. I think we get this one right. I know I, I began the podcast by saying that, you know, we'll see if we get this one right. But I, I genuinely believe that this is the one. That well, I think that, um, I, I, first of all, you're not dumb and young. You're, you're clearly um, a really astute finger on the pulse, young man. And we need more people like you and of your age group in this country. Um, and I do think to your point, I think in the end, we will get this right. I think that we have to get this right. This is such a tipping point for our society. Um, I question whether or not we will truly understand the, the, the impact that this has had, um, like the, the, just the virus itself. I think this virus has been so overrepresented um, and I think if we could get to the true data, we would see actually that it is, that it is truly not impacted human population in the way that, that has been portrayed to. 
Um, but I do think we have to get this right. And I am inspired. Um, I, t- I told the story a while ago on a podcast, but I had a funny incident um, that caused me to stop and have a moment of pause. But I was, I was actually at a hardware store and uh, wasn't wearing a mask. And uh, this guy was wearing a t-shirt similar to, to what yours is, which is a very patriotic t-shirt. And for those of you who are watching this, or excuse me, listening to the podcast instead of watching it, he's got a great t-shirt that says tyranny response team on it. Um, but you know, it was funny because we had this moment, you know, everyone else is wearing masks and this guy's wearing this patriotic shirt, not wearing a mask. I'm not wearing a mask. And we walked past one another. No one really stopped, but we made eye contact. And he looked at me for a moment and goes, freedom. And I said, freedom. And we just kept walking, but it was like this moment where these like kindred spirits, all of a sudden, you know, like we had, we realized that, that we, um, we're both very patriotic and didn't believe in what was going on and, and what we're being told by the government, what we're being told by the media. Um, and so I, I had a moment of pause and I realized that there are actually more people out there. And if you really think about your day-to-day life, how many people do you meet um, that that you wouldn't believe, but are actually following this and are more engaged than you realize? I love that point that you made because it reminds me of what happens around Chicago. So you show up to these libertarian events, Freedom Fest, Tom Woods events, you name it. They all say, oh, you got to get out of Chicago. You got to get out. And I'm sure they say the same about California. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Difference. What, what Those people don't understand those from Florida, those from Texas, those from Alabama that don't have to deal with the politicians that we have to deal with is that those who dissent like that guy that you met in the warehouse store, Uh they are better dissenters of the state than those in Florida that are just going along with the conservative politicians. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I love that point. A hundred percent. Cause it's easy. Look, it's easy to go and be in a place where, you know, you're among your tribe and you guys all are, are, you know, you have your mantra and you believe in your freedom. It's difficult to live in a place like Chicago or Southern California where, um, you never know. I mean, you're, you feel you're made to feel like you're an outcast, but the reality is I do believe that there are more people, um, and, and again, this isn't about politics. I always say that it's not, not about politics. It doesn't matter where you are in the political spectrum. I think there are more people out there um, that believe in freedom, believe in medical freedom, believe in parental rights, think that the last three years was an abomination um, and a ridiculous attempt by this government to take away our rights. And again, you could be, a, I, I, I meet a lot of Democrats that tell me that. So, um, but I, ex- I know exactly what you're saying. And I think it was a, it's a really, really important point. To be countercultural is so much more brave than to be thrown into a place. There, there was this lady who was watching one of Gary's debates when we, we've been on a bunch of, we've been to a bunch of places, but this was at Freedom Fest, actually not this year, but last year. Mm-hmm. And she was this Cuban lady. And I forgot exactly what Gary said, but it was a reference to freedom in Cuba, or, or I wish I remembered, but I don't. And she just, I, I was so powerful. It's one of the most powerful things that I've seen on this 
sort of tour we've gone on, but she just, she nodded her head just very slowly. Like what you just said, I agree with, with my entire being, because mm-hmm. those people know, you know, the people that come from, you know, places that aren't as free, it's, it's different for them. So I just thought of that course. was helpful and it's sort of like your story. Yeah, I know. Of course. I mean, look, there are people that, that from all over the world that are trying to get into this country. And there's a reason that people are trying to come here because as I said, you know, earlier on in the podcast, this is still the freest, most opportunity giving society in the world. And, um, we have to get this right. We have to get this right, right now. And, uh, otherwise we risk losing it. And then where do we go? You know, it's like- <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're all, we kind of built this thing up. It's gone. It's gone pretty good. Right. It's, well, who knows? it's gone good. And, um, who else is, is going to rescue us? I don't, I don't see a long line of, of countries out there uh, waiting to come in and, and rescue us should things go further South than they have in this yeah. country. Same here. Well, um, it's been an unbelievable conversation. It's been really fun, Charlie. I'm excited to, to get the word out about your book. Uh, tell, tell everyone how they can follow the work that you're doing and get a copy of your book. Awesome. Well, Laura, I appreciate this. This has been awesome. Love the work that the unity project's doing. You can get the book, a twisted history of the United States. It's got the black cover right here. It's pretty much anywhere you get it online. If you get it on Amazon, please leave a review. We're trying to get our reviews up and you can follow my work on hot water history podcast, hotwaterhistory.com. I'm on Twitter. My Twitter is at Chuck West 20. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. So, uh, but I prefer Twitter for the, the book stuff. So at Chuck West 20 on Twitter. And that's about it. Fantastic. Well, I'm excited to follow the work that you're doing. I'm excited to see uh, where your life takes you because you clearly are someone in this country that we need. We need more people like you. And it's been, it's been fun. It was fun watching you speak. And so I encourage everyone to get the book and follow what Charlie's doing. Thanks so much, Charlie. Thanks, Laura. Appreciate it. From all of us at The Unity Project, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope to continue producing content that amplifies voices, strategies, and resources. Please keep in mind that The Unity Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies on the contributions of our generous supporters to fuel the work we do in this movement. If you value our efforts, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution today by visiting our website at www.unityproject.com and clicking the donate button. We very much appreciate your continued support and confidence, without which our work wouldn't be possible. 